0: Section 13 of On Christian Doctrine. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Josip. On Christian Doctrine by Augustine of Hippo. Translated by J. F. Shaw. Section 13. Chapter 12 rule for interpreting those sayings and actions which are ascribed to god and the saints and which yet seem to the unskilful to be wicked those things again whether only sayings or whether actual deeds which appear to the inexperienced to be sinful and which are ascribed to god or to men whose holiness is put before us as an example are wholly figurative and the hidden kernel of meaning they contain is to be picked out as food for the nourishment of charity now whoever uses transitory objects less freely than is the custom of those among whom he lives is either temperate or superstitious whoever on the other hand uses them so as to transgress the bounds of the custom of the good man about him either has a further meaning in what he does or is sinful in all such matters it is not the use of the objects but the last of the user that is to blame nobody in his sober senses would believe for example that when our lord's feet were anointed by the woman with precious ointment it was for the same purpose for which luxurious and profligate men are accustomed to have theirs anointed in those banquets which we abhor for the sweet order means the good report which is earned by a life of good works and the man who wins this while following in the footsteps of christ anoints his feet so to speak with the most precious ointment and so that which in the case of other persons is often a sin becomes when ascribed to god or a prophet the sign of some great truth Keeping company with a harlot, for example, is one thing when it is the result of abandoned manners, another thing when done in the course of his prophecy by the prophet Hosea. Because it is a shamefully wicked thing to strip the body naked at a banquet among the drunken and licentious, it does not follow that it is a sin to be naked in the baths we must therefore consider carefully what is suitable to times and places and persons and not rashly charge men with sins for it is possible that a wise man may use the daintiest food without any sin of epicurism or gluttony while a fool will crave for the vilest food with a most disgusting eagerness of appetite and any sane man would prefer eating fish after the manner of our lord to eating lentils after the manner of esau or barley after the manner of oxen for there are several beasts that feed on commoner kinds of food but it does not follow that they are more temperate than we are for in all matters of this kind it is not the nature of the things we use but our reason for using them and our manner of seeking them that make what we do either praiseworthy or blameable now the saints of ancient times were under the form of an earthly kingdom foreshadowing and foretelling the kingdom of heaven and on account of the necessity for a numerous offspring the custom of one man having several wives was at that time blameless and for the same reason it was not proper for one woman to have several husbands because a woman does not in that way become more fruitful but on the contrary it is base harlotry to seek either gain or offspring by promiscuous intercourse in regard to matters of this sort whatever the holy men of those times did without lust scripture passes over without blame although they did things which could not be done at the present time except through lust and everything of this nature that is there narrated we are to take not only in its historical and literal but also in its figurative and prophetical sense and to interpret as bearing ultimately upon the end of love towards god or our neighbour or both for as it was disgraceful among the ancient romans to wear tunics reaching to the heels and furnished with sleeves but now it is disgraceful for men honourably born not to wear tunics of that description so we must take heed in regard to other things also that lust do not mix with our use of them for lust not only abuses to wicked ends the customs of those among whom we live but frequently also transgressing the bounds of custom betrays in a disgraceful outbreak its own hideousness which was concealed under the cover of prevailing fashions chapter thirteen same subject continued whatever then is in accordance with the habits of those with whom we are either compelled by necessity or undertake as a matter of duty to spend this life is to be turned by good and great men to some prudent or benevolent end either directly as is our duty or figuratively as is allowable to prophets chapter fourteen error of those who think that there is no absolute right and wrong but when men unacquainted with other modes of life than their own meet with a record of such actions unless they are restrained by authority they look upon them as sins and do not consider that their own customs either in regard to marriage or feasts or dress or the other necessities and adornments of human life appear sinful to the people of other nations and other times and distracted by this endless variety of customs some who were half asleep as i may say that is who were neither sunk in the deep sleep of folly nor were able to awake into the light of wisdom have thought that there was no such thing as absolute right but that every nation took its own custom for right and that since every nation has a different custom and right must remain unchangeable it becomes manifest that there is no such thing as right at all such men did not perceive to take only one example that the precept whatsoever ye would that men should do to you do ye even so to them cannot be altered by any diversity of national customs and this precept when it is referred to the love of god destroys all vices when to the love of one's neighbour puts an end to all crimes for no one is willing to defile his own dwelling he ought not therefore to defile the dwelling of god that is himself and no one wishes an injury to be done him by another he himself therefore ought not to do injury to another chapter fifteen rule for interpreting figurative expressions the tyranny of lust being thus overthrown charity reigns through its supremely just laws of love to god for his own sake and love to one's self and one's neighbour for god's sake accordingly in regard to figurative expressions a rule such as the following will be observed to carefully turn over in our minds and meditate upon what we read till an interpretation be found that tends to establish the reign of love now if when taken literally it at once gives a meaning of this kind the expression is not to be considered figurative chapter sixteen rule for interpreting commands and prohibitions If the sentence is one of command, either forbidding a crime or vice, or enjoining an act of prudence or benevolence, it is not figurative. If, however, it seems to enjoin a crime or vice, or to forbid an act of prudence or benevolence, it is figurative. Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man, says Christ, and drink his blood, ye have no life in you this seems to enjoin a crime or a vice it is therefore a figure enjoining that we should have a share in the sufferings of our lord and that we should retain a sweet and profitable memory of the fact that his flesh was wounded and crucified for us scripture says if thine enemy hunger feed him if he thirst give him drink and this is beyond doubt a command to do a kindness but in what follows for in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head one would think a deed of malevolence was enjoined do not doubt then that the expression is figurative and while it is possible to interpret it in two ways one pointing to the doing of an injury the other to a display of superiority let charity on the contrary call you back to benevolence and interpret the coals of fire as the burning groans of penitence by which a man's pride is cured who bewails that he has been the enemy of one who came to his assistance in distress in the same way when our lord says he who loveth his life shall lose it we are not to think that he forbids the prudence with which it is a man's duty to care for his life but that he says in a figurative sense let him lose his life that is let him destroy and lose that perverted and unnatural use which he now makes of his life and through which his desires are fixed on temporal things so that he gives no heed to eternal it is written give to the godly man and help not a sinner the latter clause of this sentence seems to forbid benevolence for it says help not a sinner understand therefore that sinner is put figuratively for sin so that it is his sin you are not to help chapter seventeen some commands are given to all in common others to particular classes again it often happens that a man who has attained or thinks he has attained to a higher grade of spiritual life thinks that the commands given to those who are still in the lower grades are figurative for example if he has embraced a life of celibacy and made himself an eunuch for the kingdom of heaven's sake he contends that the commands given in scripture about loving and ruling a wife are not to be taken literally but figuratively and if he has determined to keep his virgin unmarried He tries to put a figurative interpretation on the passage where it is said, Marry thy daughter, and so shall thou have performed a weighty matter. Accordingly, another of our rules for understanding the Scripture will be as follows to recognize that some commands are given to all in common, others to particular classes of persons, that the medicine may act not only upon the state of health as a whole, but also upon the special weakness of each member for that which cannot be raised to a higher state must be cared for in its own state chapter eighteen we must take into consideration the time at which anything was enjoined or allowed we must also be on our guard against supposing that what in the old testament making allowance for the condition of those times is not a crime or a vice even if we take it literally and not figuratively can be transferred to the present time as a habit of life for no one will do this except lust has dominion over him and endeavours to find support for itself in the very scriptures which were intended to overthrow it and the wretched man does not perceive that such matters are recorded with this useful design that men of good hope may learn the salutary lesson both that the custom they spurn can be turned to a good use and that which they embrace can be used to condemnation if the use of the former be accompanied with charity and the use of the latter with lust for if it was possible for one man to use many wives with chastity it is possible for another to use one wife with lust and i look with greater approval on the man who uses the fruitfulness of many wives for the sake of an ulterior object than on the man who enjoys the body of one wife for its own sake for in the former case the man aims at a useful object suited to the circumstances of the times in the latter case he gratifies a lust which is engrossed in temporal enjoyments And those men to whom the apostle permitted as a matter of indulgence to have one wife because of their incontinence were less near to god than those who though they had each of them numerous wives yet just as a wise man uses food and drink only for the sake of bodily health used marriage only for the sake of offspring and accordingly if these last had been still alive at the advent of our lord when the time not of casting stones away but of gathering them together had come they would have immediately made themselves eunuchs for a kingdom of heaven's sake for there is no difficulty in abstaining unless when there is lust in enjoying and assuredly those men of whom i speak knew that wantonness even in regard to wives is abuse and intemperance as is proved by tobit's prayer when he was married to his wife for he says blessed art thou o god of our fathers and blessed is thy holy and glorious name for ever let the heavens bless thee and all thy creatures thou madest adam and gavest him eve his wife for an helper and stay and now o lord thou knowest that i take not this my sister for lust but uprightly therefore have pity on us o lord chapter nineteen wicked men judge others by themselves but those who giving the rein to lust either wander about steeping themselves in a multitude of debaucheries or even in regard to one wife not only exceed the measure necessary for the procreation of children but with a shameless license of a sort of slavish freedom heap up the filth of a still more beastly excess such men do not believe it possible that a man of ancient times used a number of wives with temperance looking to nothing but the duty necessary in the circumstances of the time of propagating the race and what they themselves who are entangled in the meshes of lust do not accomplish in the case of a single wife they think utterly impossible in the case of a number of wives but these same men might say that it is not right even to honour and praise good and holy men because they themselves when they are honoured and praised swell with pride becoming the more eager for the emptiest sort of distinction the more frequently and the more widely they are blown about on the tongue of flattery and so become so light that a breath of rumour whether it appear prosperous or adverse Will carry them into the whirlpool of vice or dash them on the rocks of crime. Let them then learn how trying and difficult it is for themselves to escape either being caught by the bait of praise or pierced by the stings of insult, but let them not measure others by their own standard. End of section thirteen.